0: Hey everyone, welcome back to The Leech Podcast, the most visceral podcast. As always, The Leech Podcast is a show about movies that suck the life out of you, but also stick with you. It may even be good for you. I'm joined as always by my two favorite leechy gentlemen, Aaron Jones and Banks Clark. Hey guys. Hey hey. hey, hey. Hey. It is great to be with you again. Listeners might remember that the three of us used to teach together where we discovered our shared love of difficult movies that make your heart bleed. And of course, we used to teach together, and now we leech together. So it is great, great to be together, as always. We have a, we have a packed show for y'all again today. This is, uh, I think we're halfway through our first season of the Leech podcast, which is very exciting. Tonight, Today we'll be talking about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. 2004 film starring jim carrey and kate winslet we will dive into that as we go we always also are looking to expand our pond oh and so to that end if you would like to (laughs) communicate with us at leech podcast on twitter and the leech podcast on instagram please send us your ideas your thoughts your feelings we like all those things and this week in particular, if there is a leachy novel, a book, <gasps> a story that is leachy for you, we would love to know what that novel is because if there's enough suction on this idea, oh, oh. we might need to have a leachy book club. So please send us at Leech Podcast on Twitter, the Leech Podcast on Instagram. Please send us your leachy novels. Gents, are there other, uh, other things that the listeners should chime in on?
1: But don't send us leechy navels, like if there's a leech on your belly button.
0: A leech in your navel, actually, should probably <laughs> you should probably go talk to your doctor.
1: <laughs> talk to your primary care physician.
2: That just makes me think of that one scene in The Matrix, man.
1: Oh, <laughs> the whole oh, thing just like, goes right in. Oh. <gasps> that is the truly leechy navel scene of all, yes.
0: That scene has stuck with us. Okay, We before we dive into this episode, Aaron, please teach us about leeches. Teach us about leeches. Yes. Well,
1: this week, the movie we're, we watched was a little more romantic, so I was wondering
0: about,
1: you know, with your, your romantic partner you're always kind of looking each other in the eye. And I was wondering, could I look a leech in the eye? And I became curious about the eyes of leeches. I found this bit of information from the Australian Museum, it's kind of Natural History Museum in Sydney, and it is sort of deliciously vague in a way that I want to share with you. And these are about the sensory organs of leeches. And I quote, Sensory organs on the head and body surface enable a leech to detect changes in light intensity, temperature, and vibration. Chemical receptors on the head provide a sense of smell. And there may be, this is what gets me, there may be one or more pairs of eyes. One or more? (laughs) One or more pairs of eyes. The number of eyes in their arrangement can be of some use in identification. However, to properly identify a leech, dissection is required. I was just struck by that. struck by that, that some different kinds of leeches have one set of eyes. Some have none, apparently, and some have many. And I'd like to know more. Anyway... Looking a leech in the eye may be difficult because probably all they can see of you is a shadow in the way of the sun.
0: Wow. That, that feels apt for this movie. <laughs> sunshine. Ooh, sunshine. Sunshine. Uh, wow. Well, points to anyone who makes a metaphor out of that bit of leech anatomy. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> so let's dive into this episode, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Banks, will you tell us what happened in this film?
2: Well, I will try. Uh, as always, a uh, quick spoiler warning. Um, if you have not seen this movie, pause this episode and go watch it. There are some movies that you can hear about and then watch. And guess what? You could do it here, and you would be doing yourself a terrible disservice. The mm. first time mm. watching this film, you will be transported in a thousand different directions, and it is a delightful transportation and mm. it's just worth being carried along in that journey. So watch the movie. If you haven't, then unpause this leech podcast and, pers- and then we can leech with you. So quick spoiler warning. Um, I mean, this is, this is a movie that has multiple timelines. You know, these timelines converge, they diverge and it's definitely uh <laughs> heck it's, I, I you know we we just recently watched it. I'm still like, uh, wait, what timeline was happening when? But it's uh, it's really remarkable how it all comes together. Um, the mm-hmm. movie starts. We meet uh, Joel uh, Joel Barish. He's played by Jim Carrey. You know, sort of quiet uh, character. And there's this really interesting use of voiceover where we learn that uh, this very sort of quiet normal. Um, Uh, somewhat boring gentleman, all of a sudden is doing a very impulsive action, uh, uh, sort of surprising even to himself. And he ends up on a beach in Montauk where he meets a woman and they all of a sudden have this unexpected chemistry. And the woman is, um, uh, you know, Clementine played uh, brilliantly by Kate Winslet. And through um, the sort of the course of, like their conversations and everything, you realize there's some sort of interesting history. There's some things that don't make sense. And then all of a sudden, viewers are transported to a different moment, right? To a different time at which actually this relationship has been ongoing for some reason. And also that there's been a fight
0: mm.
2: and that the relationship ended. And so all of a sudden, the viewers made very terribly what? There are multiple things going on at once. The histories don't align properly. And what we learn is that after this fight, Clementine, who's this, you know, opposed to, you know, uh, Joel, who's this, you know, very sort of boring, keeps to himself, more of a quiet gentleman. Clementine is, you know, she changes her hair color all the time. She's impulsive. She's vivacious. She's all over the place. She's... And, what she has done after the fight is actually go to this. Um, it, it looks like a dentist office. It's like the world's <laughs> most mundane looking thing for a sci-fi film, but it's like this futuristic technology that wipes up like a very specific traumatic memory from your brain in a very specific way. And that she has had this done. And Joel learns this through some friends who shouldn't have been able to like to pass along, but he learns. And then he is then realizing that he's in this different like area and that he himself needs to have this done. And so then he goes and demands that this same office, you know, do this procedure on him because it is too painful for him to know that she has wiped him from her memory. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden we're caught in these timelines. That's also, you know, where we started. There's the timeline of the history of him learning about it. But also we learn we're actually in the timeline of him actually undergoing the procedure as he sleeps. Mm -hmm. And what we then learn is that through the course of him actually going to the procedure, he decides he does not want it. He decides that actually their relationship was so powerful, was so meaningful that in spite of all the bad things, he wants them to stop. But he's already asleep. They're already wiping his brain. And it's hilarious. Um, the technicians doing it are played by Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst. Uh, Mark Ruffalo plays Stan. Kirsten Dunce plays Mary, who are, themselves are in a relationship and themselves are, like, throwing, like, a party while they're doing it. Um, we also recently – then we also learned that Elijah Wood um, is playing this character named Patrick who is stealing Jim Carrey's identity in order to be able to date Clementine. So not Jim Carrey's, obviously, Joel's identity to to be able to date Clementine. (laughs) Right? And so we have all these crazy timelines happening at once. You learn that the doctor in charge of this entire facility actually had a relationship with one of the technicians. So you have these love triangles and all of this is happening while Jim Carrey Is asleep trying to evade the very process. And the thing that is giving, you know, uh, Joel and Clementine the ability to evade, right, this process of wiping the memory of the relationship, the very life of the relationship, what's keeping them and sort of the very vital breath of that alive is the fact that uh, there is something about the relationship that allows them to want to, to. do something different, do something impulsive. And that breaks the cycle and they're able to evade through memories and all these, you know, interesting psychological pathways. They're able to sort of um, thwart parts of the procedure. And in the end, interestingly, they fail and the procedure succeeds. So it would seem Mm. Mm. because uh, Jim Carrey wakes up the procedure, seemingly a success and we are brought back to the very opening scene of the movie, where he is then, for some reason, this boring man impulsively does something, almost like Clementine would. And they end up in Montauk, and these you know, two individuals who had erased one another from one another's memory insist upon meeting one another again in spite of themselves. And it ends on this... Hopeful mm. but restrained hope of well they found each other again, but will this repeat again? That's the movie. Yes,
0: yes. yes. Really well put. Thank you, Banks. So we're gonna move into the lychee scene or sorry, lychee themes from this movie. And I think uh, I'll just build off something you left us with there, Banks, which is this interplay, so my theme would be the interplay between between their individual choices and, I don't know, fate, I guess. Uh, hmm. The theme is, can maybe another way to put it is, can people change? Or are they always going to repeat patterns of behavior, patterns of relationship? And if they can change, what is going to be the engine of that change? What actually drives it? And I do think this film has something to say about that. I, I'm I'm going to put a pin on it because I think we'll come back to it. But my theme is this interplay between fate and choice, especially through the prism of a relationship.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean it, it, that, that that that's a really powerful theme through the film. Uh, it plays right. At, you know, one of the uh, it plays right into what I'm thinking of for a lot of the film. When I for me, one of the most powerful themes. This is just a explanation of coping. How do people cope with difficulty? And this film is just a, just takes you right into people's coping mechanisms, at least for me in a way that like is a little too relatable to be comfortable. (laughs) It's like, Oh gosh, I've done these. That's real. (laughs) Like, you know, for Jim Carrey, like I, I relate to his character so much. I relate to Joel because he's just this, you know, resorts to, to the same patterns to, Cope with the things that are just difficult in life. And he himself is at odds with his own state of being boring and doesn't know what to do with it and <sighs> is oddly attracted to this woman who is the opposite of that. And so it's about, you know, well, some people cope by creating patterns, some people cope by being wildly different and, you know, trying to do things mm. in different ways. And, you know, there's this theory out there that, you know, Clementine, Kate Winslet's character is like, has like borderline personality disorder. I don't really think that's like really, you don't need to psychologize it like that. She's just a really awesome, I think strong character, but definitely is coping with life in a different way. And then you also meet through all these other characters in the side, just different ways of dealing with difficulty. I think coping is just a huge part of this movie. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm. I mean, hmm, I have a lot of things in my mind themes that stick out to me, I guess the one that I'll talk about for now has to do with memory. I'm I'm thinking about the power of memory and even even the sort of merest residue of memory. After these two people have found the procedure done, there's a way in which memory sort of like persists beyond all active attempts to erase it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: There's something like core and deep and that, and sort of goes beyond the mechanical, neurological parts of memory down into the level of identity. And I'm just I'm thinking about all the ways that, it's like, we are the finger, like the fingerprints of our experiences and memories are so deep in us yeah. that the idea of erasing them becomes ridiculous, even mm. at the level of the science fiction we're given at the Lacuna doctor's mm. office
0: right and i think what's i i think what's so interesting there is that they do succeed in erasing her from his mind Mm. but it's but they don't they can't erase her from his body his Mm. body remembers Mm -hmm. right there's something like deeper than his mind that remembers her
2: Mm. yeah Yeah. true if i'm not mistaken uh the residue of memory to quote um you know, maestro Aaron Jones over here. Isn't the Residue of Memory the title of your very first a Jazz
0: Fusion album? (laughs) Oh, no, it was his second one.
2: Oh, that's right. Who can forget? I
0: believe... The Compromise Second Draft.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. Uh, You you might remember from an earlier episode, he quoted it. It was the uh, subterranean network that fuses... Uh, the different buns of the sandwich. Oh, oh, uh, that my. was from the parasite episode.
0: Uh, so <laughs> very that hot, was his first Yes,
2: yeah.
1: yes. Spicy callbacks, sir. Spicy indeed.
0: Uh, Banks, is there a scene that leeches onto you? Mm.
2: It, it, it speaks to uh, <laughs> the too close for comfort
0: <laughs> area,
2: and <laughs> mm. uh, for me, it, it's. It has. There's this scene. It's fairly early in the film, and it epitomizes almost the thorn in the side of Joel and Clementine's relationship. And it's, and it, it, they're sitting down and they're eating Chinese food. Oh, oh, oh no! no. <laughs> and it is the most painful scene. It's. It, and this is lychee to me in the sense that, like, I kind of want to forget it uh-huh. because I really can't forget it. <laughs> And because and I've, like, I've lived it, right? <laughs> yeah, like, I've been like, dang, I've been there, man. Mm-hmm. Like, But like, I think we've all been in relationships where we've felt this sense of being suffocated by monotony, this sense of mm-hmm. something that is at one time supposed to be celebratory has instead become like a performance of, you know, all the reasons why the relationship is not working and it's just boring. And they're just sitting there eating Chinese food, commenting on how the food that they've been ordering every week, the same day is the exact same and having nothing to talk about. And the silence is just so palpable that it 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 just makes you kind of want to, I don't know, attach some leeches to you to suck (laughs) it out of you because somebody say something interesting. You kind of want to run away screwed. So, for me, it's that yeah. Chinese food eating scene. It's just it's for me that's like almost unwatchable. But like yes. in a powerful way, not like bad, but like I have lived that.
1: It's I, speaking
0: l- to something very real, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I really
1: mm-hmm. want to jump in here. I I'm thinking of like what are the different kinds of things that relationships can survive. And one is this like horrific level of monotony that we're describing. <laughs> Right. But the other thing that for me, the can relationship survive the full voicing of the truth?
0: Mm. The full mm.
1: voicing of the truth. And the legious scene for me that just, just brings me into agony. I feel awful as I'm watching it and listening to it is the scene at the end where they have both received the, the recorded tapes of them sort of naming the things they despise most about the other oh, person. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and then Clementine walks into Jim Carrey's apartment as he's listening to the tape where he told the doctor everything he despises about her and all these like nasty, ugly things he thinks about her. And she makes him keep the tape running while she's there. Uh, and the discomfort is just like rising and rising and rising until it, I like feel it in my body as I'm sitting there watching the film. He's talking about how she just she just uses sex to like make people like her, and she's this like shallow, foolish person, and she's listening to it, and he's listening to himself say it and horrified and for me, there's the kind of weird hopefulness at the end of the movie is where they decide they're gonna try and be close again, not only with this kind of remembered level of monotony but with the full like difficult truth spoken
0: oh. Dude, that's lychee for me. Ooh, it took something out of me. That is an amazing, amazing sequence. I think my, I, I'm torn. I have two mm. scenes. I think they, I think they actually sandwich <laughs> the one you're talking about. <laughs> the first one, and, and I want to highlight just the visual storytelling that's going on in both of these scenes. Mm. Uh, this this film was written by uh, Charlie Kaufman, who is an amazing screenwriter. But this is the place where I think the director and the director of photography, uh, the director's Michelle Gondry, I think they really shine. Because the first scene I'm thinking about is the, the final memory he has with Clem before his mind is completely wiped of her. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the first night that they ever spent together or that they met. And they were on Montauk. It's, they met on the beach at a party and they connect. And basically, she convinces him to go into this house that's owned by someone else, but no one's currently living there. It's dark. He feels really uncomfortable because you could tell he's a rule follower. He's He doesn't like to, to you know, trans uh, transgress rules. She's going upstairs with alcohol saying, hey, come upstairs. Spend the night with me. And he remembers that he did not actually spend the night with her that night. He actually left he got scared and he mm. and he left but the way the film yeah. tells this is that you actually see them talking to each other and he says to her or his memory of her i wish i had stayed i wish that night that i had stayed and it's mm. so powerful to look back on the very first interaction with this person and you see the regret but you also see the sort of change in perspective that's happened to him mm. but then and this is the part that is leechy for me he leaves in the memory and as he's leaving. Gondry has the house literally collapse just as his memory of her is collapsing. Mm-hmm. And so it's this, it's, good. It, it's multi-layered, right? That their relationships seem to be almost doomed from the start. The house is crumbling in their first interaction. Um, yes. And, and yet he's also where he is now in the storyline. He knows, Oh, actually I still love her. And she whispers in his ear, meet me in Montauk. And that's what sets the chain in motion.
1: To, get, mm-hmm. to come
0: back to the beginning of the film. So mm-hmm. it's just such a multivalent image. I think that's my lychee scene.
1: Mm-hmm. Almost lychee for the artistry as mm-hmm. much as anything in the story.
0: It's unforgettable for me. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
0: wow. The artistry is
2: not lacking. That's for sure.
0: It's stunning. Oh, it's yeah. Stunning.
2: Consistent throughout the film.
1: I mean, the, the film is like it's a complete package where every knot has been tied, it feels like. You mind if yes. I, can I, can I jump into lychee characters? Please, I have, please. Well, a lychee character, I have to talk about another kind of lychee scene that kind of fits into this, uh, the groove I'm describing about the film containing all these kind of like perfect moments of symmetry. And I, so a lychee character for me, who I, who I hate, just deeply despise and hate is Patrick, Elijah Woods' character. Well, I freaking hate that guy who, uh, <laughs> for, for like part of me, like I'm addicted addicted to these ideas of like of authenticity and originality and to see someone sort of like he takes jim carrey's journal joel Barish's journal and is sort of like trying to recreate with clementine all these moments that joel Barish already had with her and i'm just feeling sick watching this happen but then the ultimate moment is when they go to the uh they go to the the frozen lake the mm-hmm. frozen lake where Joel Parrish says and recalls and writes down in his journal, he says, they're lying down next to each other on the ice. I could die right now. I'm just happy. I've never felt that before. I'm just exactly where I want to be. And then to watch the scene where freaking Patrick just like stumbles and fumbles his way through that line. And it means nothing. And Clementine doesn't care at all. I'm like, oh, I, Oh, this is so gross. And I, I hate Patrick. Like he's he like he sucks so much life out of me. He's leech number 1 uh for me in this movie. That's me.
0: He is definitely high up there. I I also would on that kind of leechiness um Dr. Mirzwak. Oh. Tom Wilkinson's character also oh. is leechy for me, but I'm actually not going to talk about them for this. <gasps> what? much like in Pan's Labyrinth when <laughs> Vidal was so obviously the villain is mm. so, so terrible. Yeah, I think, I mean, Mirzwack and Patrick are obviously leechy, <laughs> and, and that they stuck life out. Yes. But for me, um, the painful one who is instructive and who sticks with me is kind of like what Banks was saying earlier. It's Joel. I think Jim Carrey's character really on this viewing. Hmm. He sticks with me. And I think so many of his insecurities and his questions and his doubts of himself and his doubts of the relationship man those uh struck some chords you know early on he it it, it becomes ironic later but early on when he's looking at Kate Winslet on the train and he says why do I fall in love with every woman who like gives me the time of day I mean that's an extreme statement and also (sighs) like I have been in places where that is a real thought yeah and that movie named it and so I think there's that. And then just his. His. You could tell he's smart. He's really sharp. He has (laughs) some creative elements. Like he. I think he draws. And he writes. And yet he's so. Unable to vocalize. What he feels and thinks. He's so. Yeah. He's so inside. Uh. And. Yeah. There's just resonances for me. That. His character sticks with me. And. Embodies those hard parts of myself, but also embodies, it's, it's just kind of, he goes through a hero's journey through his mind, through his memory. I think, Mm. and we'll talk, I think we'll talk more about this, but where he ends up makes me oddly hopeful while also recognizing the pain and struggle it took to get there is lychee for me.
1: Can we say, have we talked about this idea that, I mean, there's something lychee about Joel, but there's also something lychee about the process of like delving into the underworld like this is pan's yeah. labyrinth we've, I think yeah. we've talked about this Parasite, before but yeah. like going into the depths like this the the descent into his memory is also a descent into opening up all these different kind of pandora's boxes of repression inside him yes like the moment of shame where he longs he like longs to be hugged by his mother but she like won't pay attention to him or he's caught masturbating and he's like So uncomfortable in his own skin like having those boxes
2: opened. Oh, Oh, this is lychee indeed. You cannot watch this movie and not imagine your own embarrassing moments being so exposed. Everyone watches this movie and it's everyone just like peeks into their own little boxes in the same way. Like, Ooh, that's what it would be for me. And so like, Oh, (laughs) Ick. there's something about that movie that it does. It's like, it, it. it is a journey into one's own embarrassments at times. Ugh, makes me want to tell all um, my dirty secrets, but I'm not going to. Please don't. You can't. <laughs> this this please, is a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I mean, uh, you know, if, I, if I'm honest, I will say, I, you know, I think that Joel's character is also for me right there. But if, I mean, if no one else gonna, is going to talk about, you know, Dr. Howard, or is it Mearswack? Mearswack. Um, He, you know, there is one thing I would like to highlight about his leechiness. And it, yes, there is a hugely uncomfortable, hugely inappropriate, hugely leechy component with regard to him, you know, having an affair with a young woman and then allowing his own lab to then wipe her memory of that affair, only to then rekindle it. It's just that's just absurdly. Moved. It's so bad. But uh. the, like also very believable, oh, <laughs> like in a oh, terrible yeah. way. Oh, but right. like for me, what I like one of the other things, it's very easy to miss, I think, but really just for some reason sticks with me is this is his lab. This is his company. This is his lab. This is his company and his company has these policies that you actually get to hear about in the background of some of the scenes. Like you get to wait in the room with Joel while we learn that, Oh no, you know, I'm sorry, miss so-and-so, but we can't wipe your memory three times this month. That's just against policy. (laughs) Like they're going, like it's, they make, they have turned this method of like traumatic memory wiping into a deeply unhealthy pattern of, coping that is
1: Mm.
2: and just are profiting off of it there's something there like you are seeing these people in waiting rooms dealing with the death of a cat dealing with all these things just wiping them from memory as well that's just what you do so you can move on and now obviously like welcome to the modern world we all have our own ways of doing it but i think that's a part of the modern world that saps us as we are just only using avoidance as our coping Oof. Like what happens if that's what it is? What if memory wiping becomes the only way that we cope with difficulty? Like that's the, that's one of the major questions that this film asks. And the answer is not a pleasant one or one that is hopeful. In fact, it's, is the reconnecting of memory with difficulty and the radical acceptance of it that I think does it there. And I'm going to stop there because I'm getting into the positives and the high therapy aspects. but. Mm. For me, I'm just going to say the doctor there has some high leech levels that need to be uh, need to be expressed.
0: I think that's really well put. And I think just to build off it real quickly, I do think that it is the contrast between characters who basically just have their mind wiped and where they end up by the end of the film. They're all pretty much alone. Whereas the character that did go down the road of having his mind wiped, but then chose actually to embrace memory, Joel, and then also Clem, they end up to, uh, in some kind of connection. And I, I do think the film is, we, we should play around with this some more, but I do think that something about facing memory, going into it is actually the way to connection and the avoidance leaves you alone, perhaps. Well, yeah, can I, i
1: I'd love to jump in here because I think there was something that this movie taught me something new about leechiness. Ooh, ooh, yeah! That connects to the the act of remembering and Doctor Mearswack and all this. That uh, the moment. So what I'm what I learned about leechiness has to do with my physical experience in my body as I'm watching a film, Mm. and there was a moment where, like, from the center of my body kind of radiating toward my hand, I started to feel physically numb, like something weird was happening to me. And the moment that that happened was when Mary, Kirsten Dunst's character, learns that her oh. memory was wiped. Oh. At the moment where Dr. Meerswak's wife arrives on the scene and sees them kissing inside and the, and says, you can have him. You've had him before. Oof. And at that moment, like my whole body just goes,
2: Goo. I was like, this is really
1: like taking something. This is doing something to me.
2: Isn't it true that when a leech bites you, there is a numbing agent. There <laughs> is
0: a numbing protein. Yes, that's right. Oof. Oof.
1: Guys, I tell you what, I think I like need to take a quick vacation though. This is getting like. A little intense for me. It's
0: getting a little intense. Aaron, do you want to take uh, us to the uh, beach? Do you want to are there any leeches on it. that beach? I want to do the leech on the beach segment real quick. Come on, let's do leech this. leech on the beach. Leech on for the me. beach.
1: Leech on the beach segment. Leech on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> when I try and want to go on vacation on this film, where do I go? I actually go to one of the moments of like greatest dysfunction, which is this mm. uh ridiculous relationship. In the movie between Joel's two friends, Carrie and Rob.
0: You okay. remember who I'm talking about? Yeah.
1: You're like Carrie and Rob who are like, there's something about the way that their relationship is just so obviously bad. Like they're throwing laundry at each other and like always sniping at each other she tries to pick up a cooler and it just like falls over on her it's
0: just like, yeah. physical comedy <laughs> at the beach at Montauk. <laughs> at the beach but the moment
1: that, that gets me the most where I just like I can't help but laugh is like where Joel's over at their house and you just hear this relentless hammering and Rob is just sitting at the table like making a birdhouse. <laughs> <laughs> like why? What is? Why is this even here? Why is this happening? But uh, that's at this moment of like just deep absurdity, and where where we're seeing actually like what love looks at like in a way that's like, not all that inspiring or interesting. Uh, but for some reason, that like it's uplifting and lighthearted to me, and I go on vacation in those moments.
0: I love that. I that's... i my uh my vacation is also related to Rob, who of course is played <laughs> by David Cross the immortal Tobias Funke from Arrested Development. Mm, mm. And uh, perhaps a satire, perhaps unrelated, but in that show, Arrested Development, there is a pill called a (laughs) forget-me-now, which (laughs) I think perhaps is based on this movie. And that is a a funny version of something very serious that is happening in this movie. And I laugh
2: at that. (laughs) That's beachy. That's beachy. Arrested Development is always a good beach to go to. It'll rival Montauk anytime.
0: It's true. All right. It's not well, the
2: Netflix seasons. Don't do those.
0: No. Yeah. Waste of time. Well, that is our uh, leech on a beach segment for this week. Aaron, thank you for taking us to the beach.
1: And to be clear, leeches also their bodies are like segmented. They are segmented worms.
2: So the the idea of segments is really nice for the pod. Thank you. And we are now transported from the beach. So thank you for that.
0: <laughs> we have built leech anatomy into the structure of our podcast. <laughs> Speaking of which, I think it's time for some Harudo therapy. The medicinal purposes of leeches. Who would like to begin? I'll, I'll
2: begin with one here. So for me, the I think that there is a Hirudo therapy in this you know if, if this this one goes out to all the uh, dialectical behavioral therapy fans out there but in hey. dbt there's this important idea called radical acceptance
0: <laughs> okay
2: which is the uh you know it's simply looking at difficult situations and and simply trying to see them as they are and accept reality for what it is and so we can move forward and there's this great moment, I think, of radical acceptance throughout this movie, but one in particular. And that's when, after the fights, after everything, at the very end of the movie, you know, uh, you know, Joel has just heard Clem's worst comments to him, and Clem has just heard Joel lay into her in these recorded videos. And then they stand in a hallway about, they could, you know, both ready just to end it with one another. And they just say, you know, we could try again. And guess what? This is probably going to happen again. And that's when Joel, that's when Jim character character says, okay. Mm. It's this moment of incredible radical acceptance that I've never seen a better portrait of it. It's an acceptance of who they are and an acceptance of what their relationship could be, the good and the bad together. Mm. And the acceptance of, we can see where this goes.
1: I say most moments of acceptance are not with that level of like crystalline, very fresh sense of everything that's wrong and tragic and toxic and weird. Yeah, that's very radical.
0: I think that connects in a lot of ways to the therapy that I was thinking about, and it connects back to my theme of fate and choice. And there's so many patterns that repeat in this movie. And you Mm. see the dynamics of their relationship keep repeating in the memories. And they keep repeating because in some ways, Joel is fundamentally who he is and Clem is fundamentally who she is. And you you can't change those things. And yet, Joel has been on a journey in this film. He he has gone into his memory. He's gone into happy memories. But really, it's the traumatic ones that he has to go to, to come out Mm. the other side as a different person. And the time works so funny in this movie. I think, Banks, you put it well. It's only one night, and yet he is a different person that morning when he wakes up, although he doesn't know it totally, than he was when he went to sleep. And I think for me, what's therapeutic about that is this acknowledgement that the way forward, perhaps in a relationship, but perhaps just for self-acceptance, is actually through memory. It's through facing... Hmm past things especially past trauma if the way forward for ophelia was through fantasy in pan's labyrinth i think this film offers us a painful but ultimately um restorative way forward through memory
1: Hmm. yeah this is what yeah this is this movie's hard for me yeah i think that anyone who anyone who's had a lot of heartbreak you know, I've been divorced, you know, watch you watch this film and watch the kinds of dysfunction and kinds of pain that people experience here. Like it can, it can do a job, a lot of hard material. Um, but I think that one of the things that I find medicinal about the film is that, because I think that after you've, after you've been really hurt, my love, there's this question of like, am I going to open myself up to that again? Is it mm. worth opening myself up to love again? And mm. the message of this film is that like, like it's a it's a high risk proposition to love. Because the things that you will learn, the things that you will come to know involve pain.
0: Mm.
1: And I and I find myself both really chastened by this film. Like, hello, sir, be cautious. <laughs> mm about love but but sir you should you should open your heart because there's something Mm. deep and real and really meaningful about coming to know that deep difficult risky thing called love
0: i think that raises a question for me and i I i'd be interested to know what you think Mm -hmm. the film seems to say yes it's hard yes all this pain has happened yes there's risk but yes, but okay, but try again or mm. say yes to love again. And just speaking for myself, it it rang true. I felt like the film earned that optimism. Mm, mm. But I don't know. What do you? What do you guys think? Did it? Did it earn it? Um, is it too? I mean, because there's also a way you could argue like this relationship was toxic and probably bad for both of them. Wow, and is it good for them to keep trying on something that
1: <laughs> the film seems to like make a virtue out of continuing to try at things that are destructive.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think you could read it that way.
1: Yeah. Make a virtue out of dysfunction.
0: Ooh. Yeah. I don't know Maybe. about that. that
1: you could read it just it.
2: as a cycle of codependency.
1: Ooh. Ick. I don't know what I think about that. That's not what I want to believe about the movie. But I think that the movie entirely
2: leaves that door open, actually. Yeah, same. I agree. Both with the sentiment of not wanting it to be that way, <laughs> and also having a very hard time arguing against it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm I'm going to fall and say it's not, that's not... I, I'm I'm just going to go with my gut and say I don't think that's what the movie's about. I think the movie's asking, in the end, it does earn, you know, Evan, as you're saying, a bit more optimism, a bit more of the sense that the worst of us doesn't define the all of our future.
0: Yeah, I see, but
2: well does that? I mean, I think that
1: that immediately leads me to the burning question of if this movie is hmm. uh, a movie that is um, that has this like this optimistic note to it. Like how many leeches am I supposed to give this movie? Oh. 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 Good question. Oh. see oh, oh, oh. Ah. how many
2: leeches now. Does anybody have a sense at this point? I do. So to remind our viewers, we do this on a scale of 4, right? 1 out of 4 leeches, 4 leeches being the, you know, the the gold standard of a, of a leech movie. <laughs> and 1 being not so leechy, but maybe a wee bit Zero being not leechy at all. What are you doing on the show? So, mm, mm, mm.
0: so I'm at oh. I'm at three, leaning four, but I'm going to go three. <gasps> I want to save four for a couple that we will get to. That I, I think I just want to hold it. Like I think Parasite's a solid four. Oh, there's a couple others mm. in my book. Mm. Here's why I'm at three. Okay, I couldn't get this film out of my mind. Mm. We watched it a while back. I've been thinking about it. I've been wanting to write about it. I've been busy and haven't been able to write about it. And I've been frustrated that I haven't been able to write and think about it. Mm. And so it's just like wormed its way into my brain. And so it is is stuck with me. (laughs) And I think it's stuck with me on this viewing. And maybe I'll highlight uh, the other lychee scene that I didn't talk about, which is Mm. after they agree at the very end to try again, The film actually closes with this image of the two of them on the beach in Montauk with snow on the beach and they're running and they're like playfully uh, hitting each other with snow. I believe it's from maybe the first time they hung out or some other memory, but it's this playful image in this very cold beach Mm. and it's, it's, it's a haunting image on its own. But then Gondry repeats it two more times. This repetition, this repetition, almost like the cycle of this relationship will continue and continue and continue. Oh, oh. And I think in a way, the coldness of the image, the repetition of it, I think it tempers a little bit of the optimism that I feel in my bones. Uh, when they reconnect, I'm like, Oh, this is the best. This is it. I think that they end the director ends with that note of, no, this is a cycle of cold, Playfulness, not mm. a cycle of cold play, but a cycle ah. of cold ah. playfulness <laughs> uh that maybe that's just what love is, or maybe it's a more ambiguous thing that he wanted to leave us with. I don't know, but I can't stop thinking about it. I found this film so instructive about so many things it's it's such a three leecher for me i yeah, I just love this film mm. Mm.
2: three leeches. Yeah,
1: honestly, Banks, I think I need to hear from you. I'm not even like I'm not even sure. You got to help me out.
2: Convince me. It's I think it's 3. I, I mm. uh, for me, uh, I'm going to agree with Evan. I think that I think it's it's for me like if I were to say like if I had to give it like in terms of just how much I like it, I would probably give this mm. a 4 out of 4 stars, but we're talking leeches here. Leeches and... not stars. Leeches, <laughs> <laughs> <Just> not stars. <laughs> <laughs> the and uh, um, you know for me, the film has so many incredible qualities. Like Three Leeches is a high part and it does. It sticks. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. It's it takes mm-hmm. something out of you. I do not want to watch this movie sometime again Mm-mm. in the near future. Mm-mm. But I desperately there's a part of me that never wants it to let go either. Like uh, and yes, and for me like that like okay that we're in leech territory here. Yes. but. In the end, you know, for me, when I think of a truly, like, there's a, almost a fear that needs to be there. There needs to be that, oh, like, mm-hmm. th- there's a space that that enters that is deeper, that's darker, that is more powerful, maybe even brighter. I don't know. But it's just more
0: visceral. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the most visceral podcast. It is. And and you it like tremble. You tremble before it, I feel like. <laughs> Uh, And I
2: I might be shaking a little bit, but I ain't trembling yet. So, three leeches for me. Mm.
1: This movie came out in 2004. I was in high school. I think definitely at the time, I would have seen it as a one or two. I thought it was, like, artsy and cool, kind of great. But it wasn't something that, like, stuck close to me, you know,
0: Mm.
1: at that time. I think this movie... Um, it's like a heat seeking missile, except that it like <laughs> the heat, the the heat that it seeks is heartbreak and like it sniffs out the heartbreak and attaches there. Wow. And, uh, I think that would pull me up to a three now, definitely not four for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sense of it, like just finding my heartbreak and, and leeching on right there. Ooh, for me three. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it three for that. Is this the first time we've all
0: agreed? I think so, which is great. Mm. And I, I think, I think aside from ratings, I think something I just feel like we have to talk about with this movie or I want to name is this movie is somehow a romantic comedy, a drama, a sci-fi, a horror movie. Like there are horror elements in some of those memories (laughs) as well as like a Freudian meditation on childhood. Like, (laughs) And it's visually stunning. I mean, I think mm, this is where mm. it banks to your point. Like, it is a four star in terms of the quality of filmmaking and writing and performances. I mean, we haven't really even talked about the performances. Oh, we haven't oh, even goodness. talked about Kate Winslet, who is like this astonishing. Is,
2: she's the she's the star. I mean, this is yeah. She puts everyone else to shame in this movie, and yeah. everyone else is brilliant.
0: <laughs> yeah, and she's like literally the figment of Jim Carrey's imagination in the movie, and yet unforgettable. She's unforgettable.
1: The the moment the moment that immediately comes to mind is where uh, where Jim Carrey is like being a baby toddler version of himself <laughs> like under a table <laughs> and she is being his like mom's friend who uh, who's like also herself and is like what is this dress I'm wearing and then in order to like bring him back from his babyish ways tries to like show him her underwear <laughs> this is so strange
2: it's so funny because like in the scene before it's like this very like sensual like thing and like they're, they're like that's where like you like see like the underwear in there it's like very sexualized and very like you know intimate and then it's here and it's like the least sexualized scene ever <laughs> <laughs> and it's such like a hilarious change it's just like oh we're gonna flash a three-year-old let's just do that and it's, uh, it's brilliant so weird it's so weird
0: well, on that note, it's been another episode of The Leech Podcast. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This was about the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. There are many more episodes to come in this season. and We hope you will join us for all of them. Again, if you would like to contact us, you can find us on at Leech Podcast on Twitter and The Leech Podcast on Instagram. We would love to hear from you including lychee novels that you have in mind for a book club. All right. Talk to y'all later. This episode was hosted by Evan Kate, Banks Clark, and Aaron Jones. Editing by Evan Kate. Graphic design by Banks Clark. Original music by Justin Klump of podcast, sound and music. Production help by Lisa Gray of sound mind productions and equipment help and consultation from Topher Thomas.